You're listening to the She Lift Project podcast, a show dedicated to helping women achieve higher levels of success in the workplace. No matter where you are in your career, we want to help you grow. Now here's your host, Cynthia Kirkpatrick, a CPA, CFP, and Senior Financial Advisor at Mineta Group. Welcome to another episode of the She Lift Project podcast. I'm Cynthia Kirkpatrick. Happy to have everybody with us, especially my guest today, Sheila. Thank you for coming. Thank you for inviting me. I'm excited to be a part of the program. Yeah, I, I don't know that I can capture succinctly and well what you're doing and all of the accolades you've had in the last few years. It's pretty astonishing. But right now you founded, since 2010, right, Spry yes. Digital, which deals with, I wrote, web applications and dis- digital solutions. Yes. So that's, can you share to those of us out there who might be like me and not versed in the world of technology and web solutions, web applications, what that really is? Yeah, definitely. So everything's digital today, everything you touch, everything you do, even the podcast. And if you think about that, understanding strategically how you're going to take your business, your organization, your brand into the digital space, we'll do strategy sessions to understand the goals of the business. So first is understanding the business and how you're going to play in the digital space. We then think about who your customer is and what that experience we want to create. Do the design around it. So then what is it going to look like? How are the buttons going to be on there? And then finally we build it and then we support it and make sure that it continues to grow as new functionalities identified, new features you want in the web space. So I think about something recent in my history with my two daughters, Taylor Swift. And of course, after the concert in Kansas City, we came back and we bought a few things on her, her merchandise store, et cetera. So is that- Her e-commerce site. So she had a website, she wanted to sell things. And so connecting up, all of that, the payment gateways are important, making sure everything's secure, making sure it doesn't go down. (laughs) Everybody wants everything to be available, like the electricity. So you have to have high quality and you have to think about what it takes to keep things secure. And so that's part of the ecosystem we play in, in the digital solutions. Perfect. And I... I don't want to get off brand, but we just received our stuff in the mail yesterday, and I thought it was so sweet. The box came, and she had all these little, not she, of course, her people, these little purple cutouts that were put in the box. And I thought, that was an amazing customer experience. Exactly. All the way through. She just released Speak Now, which is purple-themed, and she had that. So sounds like when somebody, a, a layman like me, goes out to a website, something like that, you're involved in the goals, the brand, and what they want that entire experience yeah. to be for the customer client. Yeah. And try to fit it within the budget and make sure there's a return on your investment. So really talking to the financial end of the that aspect of how much do you invest of your business revenue, of your organization's revenue into building that digital space. And you founded this company. I founded it with three other people originally. Yeah. And are you the, the sole survivor at this point with others who've since come on board to help? I have two original partners. They're married couple who were part of our original founding members. We also have added two other owners since then. And our goal is to be employee owned. And as I I have been stipulated in our retirement 
uh, operating agreement is when I turn 60, I want to be able to be out of the business, at least just performing the CEO or chairman of the board role, and that the employees will be running the company and owning it. So that's our goal in the next few years is to get to that. That seems pretty forward thinking and something I'm going to write this down because I think we'll get to back at the end. But when I look at your history, really, it all starts in IT, right? I mean, coming out of college in IT, and I'm sure 20, 30, whatever years ago, we won't say the exact number. (laughs) It's okay. It doesn't take long to figure out. I have a 33-year-old, so (laughs) that really ages me fast. Yeah, we can play the jokes of, wow, you must have had that child when you were 15, but we won't go there. But I imagine... I guess, how did you get to that point in college that IT is where you want to be? I mean, it wasn't what we, it was still, I would, pretty early on in yeah. what we know as IT today. So how did that where come I out? went to high school in the 80s, we didn't have computers till my senior year. So I didn't get that exposure as kids are today. Think about it. Kids are getting exposed from you know, birth on into what technology is, I didn't really get into understanding it until my senior year of high school. When I went to college at University of Missouri St. Louis, um, I was also starting my career at Edward Jones at the same time. And I got a job in their IT as a help desk person. So troubleshooting technology was really how I got into IT. I was an accounting major and I started taking computer classes because I knew it was going to help me. And I was seeing at Jones how the business needed people who understand technology. So that's how I kind of grew into it. By the time I graduated in 89, I was pregnant and had a full-time job at Edward Jones already. So I stayed there and stayed in technology and continued to take on more responsibility in project management and leadership. And um, over the years, kind of, I became a general partner in my early 30s and just really kind of grew out of that aspect of being in the IT serving in that space. So accounting, you're kind of speaking to my background, which I guess I'm still somewhat involved in accounting, but I one of my majors was accounting. Would you say IT was sort of accidental? It was completely. I got hooked on the adrenaline rush of solving problems. I'm a problem solver and um, absolutely fell in love with what technology was able to do, how it was able to make the business run smoother, how you were able to get more done, make people's lives easier. And being in the financial services, I had responsibility for the trading systems, which being able to be in that heightened awareness of speed and making sure everything worked 100% of the time was important. So uh, I think that focus on quality, the focus on performance, all of those things are what kept me interested. And Jones was growing and still is, but that was when everything, you knew more people and you were able to make change happen really fast. And so that's what got me hooked into technology rather than the accounting side. The accounting side helped me understand the business and how to do make good decisions based on what the return on a value of investment's going to be. So if a project was going to cost a million dollars, how was that going to get paid for in their model? And also thinking about how were we going to make money on that? So how much did we need to be able to make in order to pay for that project? Yeah, I often tell kids that even if you don't know what you're going to be later on in life, understanding 
you know, business finance, finance in general, which right. happens to be what I do now. But I think it's so important because, again, you can use that in so many different aspects of your career. We all have to have a budget in our life. <laughs> Don't tell my husband that. He thinks he shouldn't, <laughs> that we shouldn't have to have But a if you think about, you know, personal finance, that is really important. And um, so learning those things at a young age really does help our society because then people are able to figure that out, make sure they're spending within the budget they have and not overspending and be able to save. Now, going into IT that early on in the industry itself, but I think maybe it was an issue, female. I imagine just more males in general in college back then. Oh, yeah. Did you have any issues or challenges? And, and it sounds like at Edward Jones, too, almost starting up a lot of that IT. Did you feel any different or feel you were treated different? Have any challenges back then because of the time? or? Yeah, I think um, the reality is you don't know at the time that it's happening how drastically different it could have been. So now that I look back on it, I see how I made mistakes of trying to be one of the guys, trying to fit in. And I was, you know, I get in conversations with women all the time about, do you try to fit in and be one of the guys? Do you lean into your femininity and your natural... Um, nurturing aspects and how do you navigate that and there were mistakes I made probably personally that could really kind of could have hurt my career or accelerated my career right how do you do that I still felt like I was pretty successful so I was accelerated in my career no matter what so there's lots of great aspects of knowing that I did things um, I look at the things that I did, which was to create space to be mentored, to be a mentor, and not just to women, but to everyone, because while I was mentoring women on how to be the only woman in the room, I was also mentoring men on how to lead in an empathetic way, how to give space to the women in their life as they're taking on these careers and being that um, leader in the community, um, how to not be biased against women, my, you know, people of color, like I spent a lot of time working in that space in my career, and just really thinking about um, how to make the workplace a better place for everyone, where everyone felt like they could belong. Um, culturally, you know, being told that my facial, my facial expressions, anybody knows me, give away what I'm thinking all the time. And I was like, told you had to school that you had to change that. And I felt like after a while, I had I was being told I had to change everything about myself. And that balance of trying to be somebody that I needed to be, and being authentic, was hard. Do you think some of that feedback was valid? In the in the organization, it was valid because when you're the only female in the room and there's not enough understanding or space to learn what works, I surrounded myself with people who I trusted that would tell me the truth of like, hey, you don't you're not showing up like you need to in this 
and they would pull me aside and say, you seem upset about something or you were really harsh in that um, conversation. So building people around you that are going to tell you the truth and really kind of help you think about, um, I used to write on my calendar, smile, because I wasn't smiling and the men in the room felt like if I wasn't smiling, I wasn't happy with things and that was a problem. Now, did they see other men in that room the same way? No. Oh, no. I mean, so this men was were, you female. Men were not- never told they needed to smile more or that they needed to not talk over someone. You know, how many times I raised my the volume of my voice to t- command the room, I was being too aggressive. So I... I've been called aggressive more times than not, right? Because I wanted to make sure my voice was being heard. Do you so. remember any specific instances? You you mentioned not smiling in a meeting, but is there anything that stands out one of two ways? Uh, either because you brought up there might have been chances that I didn't take that could have accelerated my career or mistakes or things I could have worked on that could have hurt. Any examples in either of those arenas? Um, probably my decision to leave Jones was one that if you look back, I was very stressed out. I had three kids, two in high, going into junior high and high school, one starting kindergarten. I was traveling all the time. Um, I had a very supportive husband, but the reality was the stress of the job, I was not handling because I wasn't taking care of myself. And that need to be on from seven in the morning until I slept and always thinking about work and always being 125% in the job did not teach me how to have a balance of physically taking care of myself, mentally taking care of myself. And I was grateful that they as they were looking at the C-suite, I had an opportunity to be considered for the CIO role. And I really gut didn't want it. And that's, um, you know, I had to start unpacking. And as I became more self-aware of who I was, what drove me through, you know, psychological evaluations of they put you through the business stuff, disc profiles, every profiling system out there. I was, I love change. I love driving change. I love being in something new all the time. Well, that meant I needed a job where I was always changing things and moving things. And that, that to me is what precipitated after 20 years in a career to leave and go and become an entrepreneur. Um, I gave up status. I gave up a great pay. I gave up tons of wealth for my health and for my well-being and for my family and for my success. Now, over the last 14 years, I feel like 14, 15 years, I feel like I've done quite a bit to even accelerate to where I am today. So I think I made the right choice to take care of myself and be that person who needed to be thinking about those balances better. It really resonated with me when you said I'm on from seven till when I go to bed, like that combination. I have three kids. We've talked about this, but mom, wife, work. Why do we, 
I feel like women tend to do that more than men. Why do we do that to ourselves? Like, what is it? Or how do we change that? Or how do we unpackage that? So I think men carry it too. They just don't talk about it or show it. And I think um, nowadays men tend to start talking about it. They're spending more time with their kids. They're taking more of the role of the caretaker. They're taking care of household stuff. So I think society's changing because, you know, we are changing expectations. I um, So I think that's, I wanna make sure that we understand that that role expectations changing. Now in the workplace, we have to give men that ability to do that. Because we as women want to succeed, we have to give that our partners, whoever our partners are, right, especially male partners are playing that male role, they have to be given that ability to pick up and be in that balance part helping with the family, helping with taking kids to school, helping take kids to the doctor, being a part of that unit requires us in the workplace to give them everyone that space, not just women. And I, you said something earlier, and I think a lot of people ask me about this podcast. Oh, it's for women. It's about women. And I said, not really. It, it, it is a lot of women talking and a lot of women issues, but it's really about how do we as a society, as a group, all of us working together, become better together. And my approach, at least at this point, is let's understand the issues that we've faced and how do we get the allies, like you said, your husband's very supportive. How do we get men, others to be that ally support to help understand how they can make themselves better us better and i i see this as more than so a lot of what you said more than just it's women focused it's a lot of sh is shifting and changing now how do we talk about it and make space for it right i think first um we as women who are drivers who like to work who enjoy making change happen we have to embrace that's who we are and our male counterparts who are driven who love to work all the time um we're just equals there, right? But we all <clears throat> have to then think about how in our home, what are we doing to ensure we are equal in our home? So I, I, I believe wholeheartedly we have to start in our personal space and how we're looking at sharing that load, what conversations, hard conversations we have to have about how we were raised, what belief systems we have that are keeping us from creating that balance in the home. That's where you gotta start. And then in our community, what are those societal things that keep us from giving space to everyone to fulfill what they want? So when we see a stay-at-home dad, we're not judging him because that stay-at-home dad probably has a significant other who's working a ton to raise money, to fund the family, right? That happens, but we gotta be okay with that and we gotta embrace that and we gotta welcome that and not judge. And I think when we hear women who want to be mothers and stay home, we have to allow that because that's okay, right? So we have to start lifting each other up and being okay and think about how we are judging each other and ourselves 
And I think once we start doing that and going, we have to buck these societal norms that were ingrained in me of the the woman was always the one who cooked, cleaned, did the grocery shopping, did the laundry, took care of the kids, made sure the kids, you know, had all their forms filled out at school, right? <laughs> that that default behavior that we just lean into and take on and never delegate. Whereas we're in our jobs and one of the things we're taught, if we want more leadership, you have to learn how to elevate and delegate. Well, think about if you elevated and delegated at home and created a teamwork where you all trusted each other to do the things and created kind of your own little ecosystem of how you're going to behave as a family, then that support system's there. Everybody has their role. Everybody knows what play. And women aren't going to feel as overwhelmed. The other thing I'm a big proponent of you pay people to do things that either you don't like to do, you're not good at, right? Or it's not where you add the most value. I swear you must have been around my house the last few days <laughs> or in my brain. Like literally this morning I had the conversation, I cleaned my bathroom this weekend. And I'm like, I don't, I never really enjoyed cleaning bathrooms, but I don't want to do this anymore. I don't do as well as I could should. Right. And it's at the point where we really need to get a cleaner. But you're right. I think uh, years ago at Edward Jones, a fellow colleague had said, you know, I have a cleaner. I have this, this and that. It's because if I didn't, if I stayed home, I'd be doing that. So it's part of me working. I'm going to have those people come in and take care of those things so I can focus on, like you said, best use of your time and skills and abilities. And to let go of the guilt for doing the that. The guilt. I, I've, I, my grandmother gave me the guilt of always having a clean house. She was the one who would literally clean out every cabinet, rewash all her dishes, all her laundry twice a year. Twice a year. I lived in my same house for 26 years. We just moved in December. I think that's the first time some of those things had been pulled out and cleaned. Like, I have to honestly, but you had to learn to let go of the guilt. Because I wanted to spend time with my kids. And if my choice was to spend time with my husband or my kids or my family or my friends over cleaning the house, doing the laundry, loading the dishwasher the way I liked it to be loaded, uh, the dishwasher is like one of those things that I was notoriously always reloading the dishwasher. And I'm like, what am I doing? This is crazy. They just put their dishes in. Having three boys, I was like, they need to learn how to do this stuff and not expect me as the female in their life to do all of these things. So my kids at by junior high were doing their own laundry and cooking and doing all those things. And they're very independent and they don't expect their significant other to do those things, right? I think you have a couple da daughter-in-laws. I'm I sure do. they appreciate They're that. They're pretty strong, yeah. opinionated. But we, you know, they they create that balance and that's what you have to make space for. And something you mentioned there, let go of guilt, I think earlier judgment. So let go of those emotions we've been conditioned to have for whatever reason right. to, you know, you don't have to have the cleanest house. You don't have to have whatever it might be. And honestly, most other people aren't even thinking about us or looking about at us. Right, right. Everybody's busy with their own stuff. Like, just, right. nobody really cares, right? Huh? And, you know, 
I always say that's why I like to have people over at least once every few weeks because that does force me to declutter things sometimes or you know rethink what I'm doing in the house um but I you know once we are able to do that in our own personal life it's easier to then give that to the team you're leading to the people you're leading the people you're working with and then it helps you start to see what policies from an hr perspective have to change and really be able to articulate the why a lot of times companies will institute policies without really understanding the why that those need to be in place i had somebody at one point in time we were talking about the team and it was like well why do people work through lunch? We need to get them not to work through lunch. And he's like, well, before we decide what they do and don't need, why don't we ask them why they're doing it? Right. I bet for everybody it's going to be different. You know, it might be I don't want to take the chance of working late because I have little kids or I don't – part of it, that's part of it for me. But part of it is I don't want to go out and have the world of bad food options because in a stressful, I'm tired, all that, I will choose the bad options. All the time. <laughs> all the time. <laughs> and I have a wonderful husband at home. I want to give him credit who makes my breakfast and my lunch. And to all the ladies who tell me I'm so lucky, um, I, I want to come back and say, but that's part of what works for us. Right. And it's not that I'm lucky. It's that we're figuring out how we right. get together because he's lucky too. And I'm sure he'd say that to anybody out there. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, when you go into a partnership, no matter what that partnership is, whether you're in a company and the people that you're leading with, the peer groups that you have, it's a partnership and we all have to work together. And really just thinking about how do you work together? And when there's friction, 90% of the time it's a communication breakdown. Mm -hmm. And if we're not willing to face that hard communication, like don't make it hard. Just like, okay, what is it that we wanna do as where do we wanna live? And leaning into my, the things that I want to have done because they drive me crazy, accepting that if they're driving me crazy and I'm going to do them, then I should just lean in and do them and not be angry that someone else didn't do what I wanted done. Kind of like, why didn't you read my mind and know yeah. that I wanted this and this done? Yeah. How could, I know I can't read yeah. minds. I mean, I was that mom who would be like, the kids would leave stuff all over the place. I'm like, get your stuff picked up. Why are you doing? And then it hit me. They don't see or value it. That wasn't what they were valuing at the time. Having their stuff organized was not of value to them. Having their bed made was not of value to them. There wasn't any value to my expectations to them. Because they just really didn't understand that. So this is, I, I don't want to get off the sideline. We'll get back to business. But literally we're going through this right now at our house. And when you said that, it's like, oh, you don't, why don't you see the clutter? Can you move that clutter? How do you, do you, in those moments, do you just do it yourself then? Or how do you work with them? I, as I do with everything I do day in and day out, I go, is this where I add the most value? And is this the most important thing I need to be doing? Worrying everything. about, is your bed made or is this clutter picked and, up? And, and if it was, not the most important thing where I needed to spend my time, I had to let it go. And I do that with everything in my life, like no matter what, like, you, you know, if I'm with at work, I go, what is the most important thing that I add the most value to that I need to do? And then I do it. 
And there's probably 20 things that I may not get to. But when you start to think about what's the biggest value that I add and most important that has to get done, and that's the way you start to work, then the things that really don't matter, you thought they did, but they don't, just flow away. And, you know, if the, I think I had an instance where a Christmas gift sat on the staircase for six, six months, maybe. And I assumed, it was my husband's actually, and I assumed that he didn't like it or want it because I had bought it and I got rid of it. I gave it away because <laughs> I, I gave it away. And he's like, where did that go? And I go, well, I assumed you didn't want it because it sat on the staircase for six months. And he goes, well, I just hadn't got to do anything with it. I That was something you gave me. And I go, well, I realized like sometimes I give gifts that people don't like. So when you leave it out, I just assumed you didn't want it anymore. So when I was cleaning, I just got rid of it. <laughs> so, you know, it was, you know, that type of thing. But I've been known to let things sit for months because it wasn't important. I just, it never was, my time was spent better places and it wasn't important to anyone. And it's okay. And it was okay. Yeah. Nobody died from it. Like, it wasn't, you know, having something sitting on the staircase, it wasn't in the way. And obviously, if I was the only one who saw it, right? <laughs> I'm like, I just learned how not to see things. Now, I will tell you, I, learned I have how not to see things. I learned how not to see things. And I definitely hear, learned how not to hear things. So like, I have the ability to tune things out pretty easily. And um, that's probably a bad habit sometimes, but it really saved my sanity. <laughs> uh, I bet I can imagine in a house full of boys, three boys and your husband, that that yeah. probably, uh, people will worry, oh, did you hear that was too loud? I was like, I've learned to tune a lot out. Yeah. You're not I don't stress as much. And you know, you, you every once in a while I'll get worried. I'm like, why are you worrying about that, right? Like, it's not valuable to worry right now, so. But I think you're definitely onto something, how you, a lot of what we need to fix we need to start personally and then carry that over to the workplace. But a lot of it really is what you should be doing at home, that communication, delegation, whatever, letting some things go, prioritize. Really, we just plop that over to the business side right. and that's what you should be doing too. Right. And I often think everything I learned about being a leader, I learned from being a mom, a parent. Yes. <laughs> I. I used to coach um, individuals coming out of the home and trying to get their resume set up so that they could find jobs. And I was like, you're managing a budget. Didn't you have a budget? Yeah. And they talk about all the things they managed or all the things that they planned or all these skills. And I'm like, look at all those skills that you had. Talk about the skills. Don't talk about where your work history was. Talk about the skills that you've been building and really thinking about that and helping them tell the story, right, around that. Because everybody has a good story and, you know, you're learning something somewhere along the way. So you 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 left Deborah Jones. We're not at Spry Digital yet. No. Right? We've done, we did some things in When between. I left Jones, my husband had a race car building business that I went and worked with him. And um, we had a race team. We built, did amateur racing, had a dyno, which is a technology that allows you to adjust the horsepower on cars through their engine management system. So everybody's like, we're both computer people. Those are computers. You do the same thing. 
And so we just really leaned into our expertise. And I that's where I learned a lot about marketing and using Google ads and search engine optimization because I worked really hard to understand what that took. That's how I taught myself how to build um, websites. So I, I really started leaning back into my actual doing of technology and growing business. Um, we kind of wound that down when my husband decided to go back to school before he turned 40. So we we have two interesting getting ready to turn 40 life changing experiences. Um, so I decided to go into consulting myself and in between there, we bought a 27,000 square foot commercial building on Lafayette, downtown St. Louis, and did a historic redevelopment of it. <laughs> so I did that while I was doing consulting. And then um, we started. I started Spry because my consulting business had grown to where I really needed more help. And at that time, I was doing a lot of mentoring of startups. And my business partners actually came to me and they said, we want to start an agency. Will you help me? And will you help me start this business? And we talked for a year about what it takes to start a business. And I looked at him one day and I go, I need your creative, I need your technical, because my clients need that. Let's get together, let's all make this happen. And we did, over drinks at my table, bottle of wine, started the business. <laughs> that might be the best place to start a business. It's or usually what it takes to take that leap of faith. So, So yeah. if you hadn't left over Jones, and your husband wasn't doing the racing thing, you wouldn't have gotten into some of that aspects of right. the computer and marketing and things. And then it just, it literally wouldn't have led you to where you're at today. That's right. And where I hope to go in the future, you know, wherever that leads me. So before we get there, you said there were some interesting turning 40 stories. Were, were those it? I mean, tell me. Yeah, so he quit his job and was doing the racing stuff. And then when I left What Jones, was he doing before? He's a computer programmer doing, um, he worked for a company that did uh, a lot of very uh, pharmace heavy pharmaceutical data analysis. So it wasn't like a mechanic or something where you would say, oh, no. oh into racing, that makes no. sense. It was- <laughs> he, did, he started amateur racing when he got his first fast car. So that, that got his thing. So. He decided he always wanted to get his degree in math, and so he went back to school. That was his turning 40 change, and uh, mine was leaving Jones and leaping into entrepreneurship. So you you found Spry Digital. Again, I think you said it was because you were already doing a lot of that work. The consulting was growing, and then mm -hmm. you had these two people who had the skill sets that you needed to really... For us to be able to come together. Yeah. 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 How... What was that experience like? You, you you had the bottle of wine at your table and you decide, yes, we're going to do it. We'd been talking about the, the business and then we started leaning into maybe we should do it together. And we had did some brainstorming of what it could look like. But um, I was not going to be the one that was going to leave the company. There was a fourth person who was going to do that. And so I was really doing kind of coaching and mentoring with the intent that I would play a backseat. I do the accounting, I would sell the things that I like to do with the nonprofits. And um, that changed, right? Sometimes people aren't ready for those things. Running, starting a business is hard. And as we grew, when we took on payroll, then I leaned in, invested more in the company, and um, we had one of our partners leave. So then we started having employees. And once you have payroll, the responsibility is bigger. 
And as we kept growing, which we just kept growing, we would have to do different changes and make investments. And officially in 2016, we I was named managing partner, owning, doing all the leading and the CEO. And since then, that's kind of the role I've played. Um, we're, we follow EOS, which, which is the entrepreneurial operating system. And um, so, you know, I've played both the CEO integrator role and really kind of running every aspect of the business, plus doing sales. And for a long time, I managed projects and I did the actual, I, you know, they finally said quit coding because I would go in and touch code and I, you know, did a lot of configuration for years. Um, so now I'm just really kind of moving into being the CEO, working on big accounts, doing big sales types aspects and doing some consultative for CEOs. So you brought in the accounting part again. So that yeah. that early college starting with accounting. Yeah came back and helped you with yeah. a lot of aspects but then the IT side obviously how yeah. was it going from like IT to sales was there a shift for you I, I'm, I'm thinking like in a big company so, like Jones <laughs> IT is probably a fairly insulated part of you know like but I built software for I touched all the software for every aspect of Edward Jones one of the areas was the sales training aspects and so I helped design and build a lot of the software that all the financial advisors would use from their training programs and into their first few years of managing. I helped build their customer relationship management system that in the early days. So I knew the model, right? I knew how to do relationship-based sales. And I focused on that. And most of it was just talking to people hearing what they were doing, hearing what their needs are. If I felt like there was something we could help them with, then that's where we would lean into it. Um, I'm a networker. I love to meet people. I love to talk to people. And as you, if you're a natural networker, then you can find people who need what you're offering. And as you find people who need what you're offering, then it's just this natural course. You hit it off. People want to work with people they like, people they trust, it's, you know, no matter, it's not just a financial services, right. right? It's not just your banker. It's not your accountant. It's everyone wants to work with people they trust. And that's just getting people to trust that you're going to do what's right for their business, for their organization, and helping them. That's all. That's There is no selling. It's mm -hmm. just helping people solve their problems, which I love. I love helping people solve their problems. Um, so that that's an easy, natural thing. For me, there's probably things I could learn and do better from a sales perspective, um, which is why I hired someone to lead my sales and marketing group and be the primary person because I'm not, um, that's not what I consider my specialty. I'm good at it. I'm able to do it. I come from it. I think genetically, my grandfather was in sales My and an entrepreneur. My dad has been in sales and is an entrepreneur. So I think I just have that as a personality trait <laughs> so, you know I just kind of feel like that's just a natural part of who I am and I just took it became natural for me well I remember early on you said I like to solve problems so right. you came back to one of those core uh, skill set personality traits you like to solve problems and then you also said they're bringing it well solving problems but doing it with the right intent yes and mindset so yeah. I think that's huge but then, like we talked about at home, at work, hire and bring in these people who 
either you don't want to do it anymore or they might do it better than you. Always have surrounded myself with the best people that I could possibly bring, people I trust and people who I believe in. They may not immediately show all the skills they need, but I, I believe that you can coach and guide people. You can help get them to learn new skills, um, gain kind of a balance. Um, but I always look at what's their core personality. So we do disc profiling mm -hmm. with everybody we're talking to. And I believe in your company, you have to have this full circle. If you've ever seen the disc profiles, the circle, and you need people who fit in all those buckets to have a good diversity of thought and behaviors. And so then you find the people who are really good at the pieces that you need them to be and making sure that there's a balance for that. And so, you know, making sure that I always find the people who are better than I am at everything is key. I learn from people. I love to learn from people. And I think that keeps the ego in check <laughs> because I'm not always the best person in the room. Um, and that's why I love to network and meet new people because I love finding people that I can learn from and grow from. And so that just keeps my passion of getting to know new people and getting to meet new people. It just, I believe, makes me a better human in developing those friendships. Well, that's really how we met. Yeah. I went out a couple years ago and as COVID had happened and it was kind of opening back up, so I wasn't doing anything that could put people in harm's way. But as we were opening back up, really getting out to meeting, especially for me, more women that were like me as far as building a professional career. They had kids. Like I felt kind of on the outside of, you know, men at work trying to mentor me but it's like, my life is different how do i do this so anyway reaching out to friends and i just said i like these industries but any anybody that's just you know great person and they're killing in work and that's how we were yeah. sarah savat introduced us and we got to know each other that long diatribe or getting into this was you said you're a natural networker and i from experience you're great at it i have that was one regret i have throughout my adult life is at some point letting family and other things get in the way of keeping up my network and so now trying to go back and rebuild that or or touch back with people what is it how does someone become or stay a good networker because i think that's networking is really important for your career and growth and development one i think you have to have a curiosity about people and I never was in a space where I didn't consider that meeting people, whether it was on the soccer field sidelines as a parent, the people sitting on the sidelines with me were people I could not work with. I served in the community in different ways. When I served in the community, those people are people I cannot work with. So I always look, um, we were in sports club, we still are in sports car club of America, racing cars. Those are humans that I would have never met probably in other ways. I have created an incredible network of people who are business owners, doctors, lawyers, you know, who race cars. And I happen to know them personally. And they're a part of my network. Some of them are women who are very successful. So I kind of combine things and I never segment them out. 
because I believe I'm always in meeting those interesting people no matter where I'm at. And so, um, you know, my kids played a lot of select ball in the years <laughs> or, you know, my I had band kids. So when you're a band parent, you're you're spending a lot of time in concession stands working concession stands <laughs> or whatever and you just start talking to people and you start get finding out what their mutual interests are what they do um and then you know i'd connect with them on linkedin and just stay in contact and really kind of pick like oh it wasn't because i thought they were going to help my business right i found them interesting i found what they did interesting and then i built relationships that way um, and just continue to think about the people that I've learned from and I enjoy being around. They're the ones who I probably spend a lot more time with. And then there's people that I probably met in person maybe once that we still kind of in the social media, this is why I love social media and I love LinkedIn. I can kind of see what they're doing. I have people that I worked with at Edward Jones that used to work for me that I we've stayed in contact we watched our careers change and grow and I love it because I get to see where they've matured out what they're doing where they're leading in spaces and the great thing is we intersect all the time and then our network kind of continues to build and I do love the ones that um you know, people that I knew from my sorority that then became into my business community, you know, those deep layered ones really mean a lot to me because you started out in one area and then you build on it over time. Is and it, they become your champions. It sounds like being truly curious about others, where they're at in life with the idea of just learning more, opening your mind and heart to more, not maybe this person can get me a new contract or lead to business or whatever. Yeah. If it does, it does. It would be great. But that's never my primary focus. My focus is this person's interesting. I want to learn more about them. And then it builds trust. And that trust, then they're willing to say, you want to go work with this person. But then you've got to make sure that you're following up. So you can't also just say, okay, that one interaction, it was great. And I'm just going to, I'm not going to keep uh, watering that plant or yeah. keep cultivating that relationship. So if you're new to networking or getting back in, it really is about, in uh, you know, connecting and committing to that connection yeah. over time versus that yes. one-time event. So if you don't have a system, I believe you got to start with a system. Like I, um, I have a customer relationship management system that I keep track of everybody in and I set up a reminder to make sure I get lunch coffee with people I'll send out emails and say hey here's my calendar I haven't talked to you in a while I'd love to get together and just grab coffee or um if I'm going to be at an event and there's group I, I love events where I get to see like 30 people I know right those events are valuable to me because I just hit 30 people that I get to say hi to, wave to, shake their hand, give them a hug, catch up really quick. Hey, I saw what you're doing on LinkedIn. I saw your Facebook, whatever. I saw your company post, right? That's fast networking, right? And then I go back and I take notes of saw so-and-so here, saw so-and-so here. So I kind of know and keep track of it. Every year now for the last five, 10 years, I create an intentional connection list 
because you really the the research shows you can only keep about i think it's 250 in your spear like like it's large number right right but there's there's only so many people that you can nurture and when you're running a business or where your your business is relationship building like yours right that has to be a part of your spear so you can't lose track of that right but i include family friends from high school college you know, I include some of my husband's friends that we want to keep that tight circle. I include people in my network that I just really love to spend time with. And I, I keep track. Did I, once a quarter, I go and go, who haven't I seen? Who haven't I talked to? Who haven't I texted? Who haven't I reached out to just to check on? And those are my intentional people that I make sure that I'm doing something with, that I'm spending time with, and that they're my people I'm really nurturing to be close to. So it sounds like it's helpful when I think of we went, we saw each other. And I don't um, know why. I mean, it was just enjoy, like, oh, was it yes. an Joyce event? Yeah. Right. Right. Where she was inviting, I don't even know how many people were there, a yeah. lot of people. But it was a great place to not only meet new people, but there were several people I hadn't seen in a while. And so that was a great. So it sounds like if those opportunities present themselves, those could be great events to those attend are networking and, events mm -hmm. right so events are great for me I, I think they're valuable um depending on what the event is sometimes it's easier and more comfortable to do that networking than others um i kind of go in with the intent that if i'm at a large event i want to meet two to three new people and i and once i've met two or three new people i feel good because that's about all you're going to remember right right <gasps> and then I try to see the people that I know. And maybe it's just through an acquaintance, but I want to say hi and try to make sure that I reach out and talk to somebody. So I think that's a great way to approach those events because either you're not a natural networker and it's overwhelming and you're nervous and you're only going to talk to the people you know or you're going to stay in one corner, you may not talk to anybody, or you may know a lot of people and you don't come out with that strategy yeah. of I'm going to do two to three I definitely picked this up from our conversation, you know, two to three new people. And then I'm going to try to touch base with those people yeah. I know already. I was in a group and it was male dominated. And I, I was so intimidated. And people are like, you're intimidated. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I was intimidated. How, how long ago? How Oh, this was pre-COVID. So probably five, six years ago. But still in your career and I, I, success and everything. You, I'll right, walk you're into rooms and I'll feel really intimidated because I don't know anyone or i don't feel like i know anyone or i really want to you know kind of make a breakthrough in this and i started wearing bright jackets red definitely because you walk into a room with the sea of black <laughs> navy gray suits and you're wearing red everybody wants to know who you are that's a really great tip. And when I wear red or a bright color, I feel powerful and it gives me that energy boost I need to walk in confidently to a room that maybe I don't know anyone or networking's gonna be harder for me. And um, I, I always fall back to, I'm not a golfer, right? And I'm not a sports watcher very much, but I used to have a, race car license and I used to race cars. Oh, that's it. You didn't do those other things, but you just race cars. And I have found 
that having something interesting that is how I can talk about something that's interesting, right? And sometimes I'll, you know, when you're talking about people that you're trying to meet, making sure you've got something interesting that might interest them. So what are those things that you're educating yourself about or that you have an interest in? And making sure you have three or four different things that you can lean into to make it much easier when you're talking to someone. Like, what do you do in your spare time? You know, what do your kids do? You know, do you have children? You know, we all try to find things to talk about. But when you're networking with people, having a few good questions that you're going to ask people and getting them to talk, I'd much rather people talk to me than me talk to them because I'm going to learn so much more. And so it's not about me and networking. It's now, probably if you start asking me questions, I'll probably start talking and, you know, I'm, I'm, I can do that. But <laughs> I try to, I try to remember, like, I really want to know what's going on in their life, how they're doing, what's going on in their business to get to know them a little bit better. I think I find it a win. And my husband and I talk about this when you walk away from a conversation, like, well, wait a minute, I don't really know what you do or anything about you. Right. And that's because then guess what? They want to know. Mm-hmm. And that's your next meeting. That's the coffee. Well, let's grab coffee. Let's get together. So then you've got a reason to get together. And they have a reason to get together because they want to get to know you because you've just listened to them and you made them feel the most important person in the room. What are some of the best questions you've asked or been asked? Oof. Um, and I guess maybe I'm thinking more of now that you just lead. Totally, I, no one has ever, I'm like, I don't know that anyone's ever asked me this question. So now I got to think about that. Like, what, what is it that I really, it's, it's. Um, I've heard some things like, and I need to, and I'm saying this out loud now so I can remember. Yeah. What are you most excited about right now in your life? Or what, so like, are there things that you can lead into that aren't your yeah. typical, wow, that weather today, huh, shucks. Yeah, exactly. You know, obviously, what was the most interesting, you know, thing you've done in the last month where's your favorite vacation spot um you know what you know what's your favorite pastime like where do you you know and just to get them to kind of lead in and talk if it's a real business i'll what's the most interesting thing going on in your business challenge in your business like what is it that you really are wanting to learn and kind of just ask them hey tell me about what's your most challenging thing so and then thinking about you said wearing a color helps you stand out i think both uh, clearly with a room full of men but also can be with women you know the oh, bright yeah. color it's more and more but are there other things that you do to get yourself ready or to stand out or just as you said sometimes you just gotta feel powerful to go in certain situations anything else you do to prepare um i i nowadays it's like i make sure that I wear clothes that are comfortable, <laughs> like that I just feel comfortable in. I find that if I'm wearing clothes and I'm not comfortable in, that I just feel uncomfortable in the situation. So I just make sure I'm wearing comfortable clothes, comfortable shoes. Um, so I try to make sure I'm comfortable. Um, so that's a big deal. I do get my nails done all this t- Like that's kind of my default probably bad for the environment but it's my one thing that I love to do and I like to pick colors based on maybe what I'm doing in the next two weeks because I get dipped 
and so they last two weeks and if it's I'm not doing anything then I typically pick a bright color to kind of bring in sunshine or whatever so those are things that I do to kind of prepare myself and really making sure that I'm coming to show up authentically um sometimes I have to really kind of tell myself I belong in that space and that I really belong here um I have earned that right to be in the room I'm interesting um I'm interested in other people and if I get to meet one interesting person you know sometimes if I'm just not feeling it I'll be like I'm gonna go and meet one interesting person I'm also okay that I may not just go. If I'm not who I need to be in that space, I've been known to say, okay, I just need to give myself that rest and not do that. The older I get, the more I give myself that. Um, if I'm not up for it, I'll, I'll step out and be like, um, somebody told me this, just seeing your name tag there as someone who's supposed to be there is part of networking. Hmm. And I was like, well, my name tag's there. <laughs> and I don't know how many times, like, if I am not feeling up for it, you know, I don't go places if I'm not feeling well. I don't go places if I'm sick, definitely since COVID. Right. And so, you know, I just give time. I just say, I can't make it. I'm going to be okay with that. Um, and I've had people reach back out. Hey, I saw you there. I saw your name tag. Couldn't catch up with you. Let's get together created a networking event and I wasn't even there. It's part of, we talked about earlier about letting go of guilt and judgment, yes. letting go maybe of what we think other people are Absolutely. thinking yeah. about us by not being in their moment. And that ties back to, you know, when you left Jones, just the not taking care of yourself and being there for everybody else from seven to your head hitting the pillow. And probably not even your head hitting the pillow because if it's me, I'm still thinking my head's on oh, the pillow. But I'm yeah. Unprogramming that is really hard. Right. <laughs> I, I just accept that's part of my personality. And I will sometimes, you know, get up and just lean into it and say, I need to get this out of my head. Um, it's when I don't know why I'm staying awake. <laughs> <laughs> like okay is this a hormonal thing but we could like have a whole nother podcast oh yeah about i think that, that. Would, right right <laughs> i was talking to a group of women the other day and they're like we need to talk about menopause and i was like oh yeah let's talk about menopause this is a great great topic because i'm in a group that we're all either gone through it or getting ready to go through it and so that was a topic people wanted to talk about so. well it's a part of human life it's something yeah. we all go through it and so it's it's not shameful it's no uh, it's a part of the natural evolution of our bodies it's okay right right and we can talk about it right and nobody's going to be harmed <laughs> in the process exactly <laughs> in fact things and it may shouldn't just be a topic women are talking about we should talk about it with our significant others too because they go through it right they just don't talk about it <laughs> jj's over there he's like ah. yeah my husband's in the corner running audio and video right now just he's like well they just went in a totally different direction <laughs> He's pretty progressive because I'm pretty out there and yeah. having two girls who will at some point be a part of that yeah. evolution cycle. Oh, he's going to be in it whether he. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that's what we have to go through. And that's what we have to talk about both men and female because oh, yeah. of work, because of all the things that I we're knew when my in. boys were having that testosterone surge. That's a hormonal impact, by the way. They went through it and took them until they were 30 that they really got out of that. Oh, wow. In a way. 
right? Like right. They're, it took them a long time to get into where they weren't being completely thrown by their regular emotional hormonal changes. So it happens to young men. <laughs> See, we all go through it. Well, we haven't talked about yet, and I've got a list of people are going to see this paper because I can't even believe all of the awards you've received, the companies received. So I'm going to look at this piece of paper, and I'm probably you'll be able to fill in. So you made the the company made the 2021 and 2022 5,000 I guess 2022 Inc. 5,000 fastest growing company list. That's not just St. Louis. No, that was national. Yeah, yeah, nationally. National. The uh, Women's Foundation of Greater St. Louis Women in the Workplace Honoree, 19, 20, 21. I think Titan 100, I wrote somewhere. I mean, a million different accolades. So clearly, you've come into yourself and you're doing great things at Sprite Digital. And Sprite Digital is doing great things for clients. So the all the web applications, digital solutions, I believe it's for small and medium size. I mean, mm -hmm. we have some corporate clients. Post Holdings, one of our clients. We have a very large telecommunications company um, out of New York. That's one of our large clients. We have a large uh, higher ed client. Um, so we have lots of uh, larger clients, um, but the small to medium size has been a target market for us. And when you think small to medium size, explain that for people people if they don't know what does that mean so uh, you know small business sba defines it of you know pretty large company you know <laughs> it's not a, you can have a hundred plus people and you know 500 million dollar company and still be considered a small business in the sba so really you know when we talk small business we're not talking probably re you know small single retail or those types of things we like to say that they need to be able to be investing in their technology, the digital technology, the digital space, where it's not, where they're making enough revenue and profit that it's not deterring it, you, you know, marketing yourself and having a great footprint is critical nowadays, like critical. And if you still don't have something that you're proud to show your, you know, prospective clients, you know, that's kind of that size. Um, we like family owned companies because you get to help them in second and third generations, some companies that we've been working with, because that new generation that's taking over, they have that desire and vision to kind of reimagine what the company's going to look like, how they can build it. So that's fun. Um, it's a fun way to kind of help them see where their vision is compared to where the past generations were. Um, large companies that are corporate, they're harder to get into. Procurement's hard. Um, they expect... Um, longer payment terms. Mm. So, you know, really that puts a crunch on a small business to try to work with large companies like that. Um, so we we kind of have companies that have come to us, we ha have to be able to set the terms to be 30 days or, you know, pay. Or and if we can't get to that, we won't engage with them. Well, that's what I thought was important because everybody's definition of small business yeah. is different. And, yeah. and to make sure that it's, as you said, probably that critical piece of they really want that digital yeah. presence and they're driving revenue and yeah. a brand and a story and that's something that they want to maintain yes. and keep up versus yeah. camp a website out there and maybe revisit it in five years right which i may not even be fair to say we have I'm just, lots of clients right now that they're in an industry where 
they're they have to really reimagine their website every year because it's themed it's based on various things and so those are fun because you really get to kind of have play with you know new ideas on a regular basis and so that's been a really fun thing for my team they love this being able to reimagine things on a regular basis and you talked we talked earlier about building a great company and a great team and really building to build a great company it sounds like and i don't want to put words in mouth but you have to be able to build a great team and you're forward thinking and saying, you know, I really want this business to be employee owned. What, uh, how did you come to that? Or what are some, I guess, leadership philosophies, things that you've ingrained in the company that have worked well? Well, you know, 20 years at Edward Jones as a limited and then general partner, uh, kind of set the stage for that. So that's where I learned about this. And that's kind of my core set of, um, I saw what it was like being having that opportunity and I saw how it really kept me motivated to be able to make the right decisions for the company. And um, there's a lot of data now that says ESAPs, which are employee stock owned um, companies, they actually perform better because everyone has the stake in the company. So I think that's kind of that core that I've seen um, personally and based on the data um for us you know i want to help increase people's wealth because that's what i was afforded and really focusing on helping the next generations build their wealth and by giving them that opportunity to be a part of the company then they have an opportunity to build their wealth in the future what if they're coming i would imagine if they're coming to work with their best selves and excited and motivated then that also then plays out to the client and the customer right. to have people that are engaged and yeah. continuously trying to better be better and better and better and spry becomes about that you know what their values are and we have a set of core values that we really focus on hiring around and those core values are checked every quarter for every single person we talk about you know we have one-on-ones and like how are you showing up in these core values and you know who's making good decisions around those and things like that so you know living in your core values is important making hiring firing reward based on those core values is critical and that's how we lead um and making sure people are in the right seat and you know if they're the right person living in the core values and they're in the right seat so if you've read jim collins you know who's driving the bus, who's on the right. bus, who's in the right seats, right? And making it like really everybody has that opportunity and believe that if you're the right person, we just need to find the right seat. And if the right seat, if we don't have that right seat for your skill set, how do we help you find that right seat somewhere mm -hmm. else, right? Like maybe you are the right person for us, but we may not have that seat available anymore because of you know, client doesn't have that need, we've shifted that, or you have skill sets that just don't fit with what we're doing. So how do we help you grow and find your next place? So what are some of those core values? Um, nurture and lift others, open, honest communication. Um, and uh, you just put me on the spot and my brain just went blank. I know, not fair. I've been always. making you talk for over an hour now. Um, and, <laughs> and you don't have to have them verbatim, yeah. but I know I put um, you on the spot. No, opportunity, you know, really looking at growth and opportunity to learn um, and uh, perseverance. So those are some of our core values.
That's great. I love that you come back to them and it's not just the talk, right? You're walking the walk too by coming back to them quarterly yeah. and uh, focusing on those traits versus kind of that, I don't know, the metrics or things afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. So not only a great place to work for and learn from that you're building, but also then what you're providing to your clients. So speaking of that, if people want to work with Spry Digital, you, your team, how do they find you? Um, our website is spridigital.com. It should um, be a pretty good website, right? <laughs> we think so. Well, okay, we're very critical of our own work, and so it's, it's never good enough, I will tell you that. Um, and then our Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagrams, all uh, Spry Digital. So if you find, look for Spry Digital, you'll find us. So. Well, I will say, little did I know, you know, however long ago, when we first met virtually and were introduced, I could tell right away, genuine person, good networker, you're willing to give advice and, and lead, not only for me that we don't, you know, we haven't known each other long, but I can only imagine what that's like with the people that work at Spry and your clients. So I just want to say a big thank you to you for coming today, but also for the advice and the time you've given along the way. She's a giver, everybody. So if you see her name at a networking event, you definitely want to make sure if you don't know her, she's one of those two to three people, new people that you meet. So thank you for coming today and sharing a lot of wisdom and your story. Thank you for having me. It was been a lot of fun to talk with you. This concludes another episode of the She Lift Project podcast. To hear more episodes of the show, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And to learn more about our mission of helping women reach higher levels of success, visit sheliftproject.com and sign up to receive the latest news, ebooks, videos, and more.